All right, folks, here we go. Another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today. Today is a very special episode for me because it is number 52, which in the world of podcasting marks one year of the Deer Gear Podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in week after week. This is a very special episode because I am joined by Mr. Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt. Mark has a pretty specific strategy when it comes to his gear. It's all about making sure that he has the best possible gear to put himself in the best possible position to fill a tag. This past season, he hunted in like 10 different states and had a pretty wild array of different scenarios that he needed different gear for. So we talk all about that. We talk about staying warm. We talk about keeping focus on all day sits and much, much more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know I sure did. But before we get into this episode, a couple quick housekeeping notes. The Exodus YouTube channel is ramping up content daily. We're putting out some really great, timely, informative content about uh for instance right now we have a warm rut so we're talking about how does temperature affect daylight activity in the rut and for that we're talking to steve shirk who ran over 150 trail cameras in the big woods of pennsylvania so that's some really good information there's content from dr bronson strickland all super high value informative information quick to the point very digestible so head over to the exodus youtube channel and make sure you are on top of your game this rut also Black Friday is coming up this month and we just ran a really big sale. So if you missed out on that, you'll have more chances to save in Black Friday. So if you want to know what those savings are going to be, make sure you head to the Exodus website and sign up for the newsletter at the bottom of the home screen. The newsletter is where we announce all sales, inventory updates, everything like that. There's not any spam that comes through these newsletters. So make sure you're signing up for that. Guys, with that being said, good luck to everyone out there. If you're listening to this on the drive to the stand or on your way to an out-of-state trip, I hope you find some value in this conversation with Mark Kenyon. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Deer Gear Podcast. Today is a very exciting day for me for multiple reasons, and the first reason being Today, I'm joined by Mr. Mark Kenyon, and I don't know if this is a a phrase or a title that I have given you personally, or if it's a title that you actually possess, but um, I always refer to you as Mr. Whitetail. So (laughs) whether that's something that you actually possess or not, thanks for joining me today. Hey, I like it. And thanks for having me. I I haven't heard that one before, but I'm down for that. I'll claim that title. Every time like people talk about Mark Kenyon or we've had you on the Exodus podcast, I'm like, we're sitting down with Mr. Whitetail. Like he is Mr. <laughs> Whitetail. So on October 24th, um, it's 8 a.m. here and I'm sitting in a hotel in Iowa and it's about to get really real here very soon. So that's the second reason today's very special. I'm sitting in Iowa with a tag in my pocket being able to hunt. And the third reason this is a really special day is this is going to mark episode number 52 for the Deer Gear podcast. And in podcast world, that makes one year of podcasting. Full so, year. Congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, so it's nowhere near you've been, but um, you you've kind of have paved the way for all everyone else to have this platform. So um, I guess that's an OD as well. Well, hey, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have done it. I, I've been fortunate that it's worked out for this long and 
it's it's been cool to see so many other great shows pop up over the years and and you know explore different angles different topics get different voices out there uh, it's been great well i'm very excited to to have you in today so how i'm going to start this off mark is we're going to pretend we're playing mortal Kombat, and you have you have to give me your deer gear profile so you're mark kenyon sitting there he's dancing you know and people are picking you and yeah. When they're choosing you, they have to know what you are as uh, as far as gear goes. And for example, I'll give you what mine would be. So I have kind of two characteristics and a phrase that when I'm looking for gear, these are what I am looking for. So I am a minimalist at the core. I try to take the least amount of things with me as possible. Um, When new things come arise, I'm not a skeptic. I'm an early adapter. I like to give th- I approach things with an open mind. I adapt them early and um, I like to work smart, not hard. And you can call me lazy or whatever, but um, I would rather work smart, not hard. So along those same lines, what would be your, uh, what would be your deer gear profile? Quiet, lightweight and trusted. So uh, as it, uh, more and more, all of my gear gets simpler to a degree but but not always less. Sometimes I still need to carry camera gear out there. Or I'm carrying different different items. You know, I bring in Ozonix. I've got Grunt too. So I've got stuff. But I'm always trying to keep it as light as possible and as quiet as possible. So when I'm looking at my backpack or I'm looking at my sticks or my saddle or, you know, when I was choosing between a saddle and a tree stand, different things like that, it was always how, how can I make this quieter? How can I make this lighter? The reason being is I never want my gear to keep me from doing the thing I'm supposed to do. Maybe 10 years ago, I would have known, you know, I really should hike back a mile and a half to hunt that piece of public land, but I've got 25 pounds on my back just from my climbing six and tree stand. Then I've got all this other stuff and I'd be sweating and I'd be miserable and I'd get lazy and not do it. As I've slowly peeled back what I need and as I've slowly gotten more and more stuff that's lighter weight, that's quieter, that's easier to pack, um, I'm finding it that I don't have excuses anymore. So that's the big thing when it comes to the lightweight and quiet. And I think that applies across, you know, my clothing, my, you know, my optics choices even fit into that. Um, A lot of stuff fits into that. And then the trusted part, this is probably the most important. I am, I'm a, I'm a big picture kind of strategy hunter. So like I geek out on what deer do, why deer do it, how they do it, how do I fit into their cycle like that's the stuff i really geek out about when it comes to gear i'm not the gearhead who needs to like spend hours and hours building my own arrows and fine-tuning every vein and measuring stuff out i don't have a mind for numbers i'm not good at math i don't i don't build stuff i'm not an engineer i'm a i'm a writer right i'm a big picture idea kind of person i'm a writer i'm a reader that's like how my head works so when it comes to a lot of my gear when i find something i trust when I find something that works really well and I trust, I do not like to change it. So I am reluctant to change bows. I am reluctant to change saddles. I am reluctant to change arrows. If I find an arrow setup that works for me, I won't change for years and years and years. Even if there's all sorts of new technology, even if there's this new fad, even if there's this new thing, once I have something that works, I want to just like cross that off the list. And now I can spend my time and energy on this other stuff that is constantly changing, like deer behavior, like weather conditions, like learning a new property. I'd like my gear to be 
not something I have to think about very often. So I'll put, I'll put the thought and um, planning on the front end of stuff until I find the right thing. And once I find that right thing, now I want to set aside and focus on something else. I'm not going to keep on tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and tinkering. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, That answers my next question too. What I would go into like, um, the characteristics of the gear, what do you prioritize? Do you want something that's lightweight? Um, would you rather have something that's functional that you have to sacrifice a little bit, a little bit of weight or, um, is packability a priority to you? So it sounds like noise and lightweight is, is the, uh, the priorities there. So, um, with that being said, would you sacrifice like the size of something if it was quieter? or it's it, quiet and lightweight don't always go together. So, um, for example, like the tethered one sticks are as lightweight as you can get in a climbing stick, but fresh out of the pack, they are a tuning fork. So yes. would you, is that a sacrifice you would make? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think I probably would have to err on quiet over lightweight. Um, because the, the very most important thing, I guess, if I, if I'm looking at my gear, the very most important thing is this thing can't scare deer. Like if this thing is alarming deer, if it's ruining my chances for hunt, then my comfort level doesn't matter. So how comfortable I am getting into hunt, that was that's how a lightweight thing or a packable thing, like that's a comfort thing. That doesn't matter at all if I can't even get set up with a deer hearing me. Um, so yeah, so for example, like I, I love my tethered stuff. I love my saddle, um, but I personally use a different set of sticks. I don't use the tethered one sticks. Um, I use the Timber Ninja C1s, which are carbon, they're dead silent. You can use them as a set of rattling antlers if you want. That's the only noise they make. Um, so, so yes, in that kind of situation, I'm going to prioritize quiet. Um, when I'm looking at, you know, if, if I do make any modifications to gear, which I don't do a ton of mods, but the, the one thing I do, and I wouldn't even call it a mod. It's a very simple thing. Everybody does this, but like I tape the heck out of stuff. I tape my, I used to have metal sticks. I taped the heck out of my metal sticks. I tape any metal on my platform, on my old tree stands. I taped them all up. Um, you know, on my bow, I've got felt on any contact point with arrows. I mean, all the basic things, but then also anything else I can think like carabiners that I have on my saddles, uh, tethers and different stuff like that. I hockey tape as much stuff as I can, because the, one of the worst things in the world as a deer hunter, especially if you're a mobile deer hunter is trying to get close to the action, which I am. Um, is that metal on metal sound. I view that as like a mortal sin. Metal on metal in the woods is a mortal sin. And I do everything I can to avoid that across all of my gear. So, um, you know, there's probably a lot of examples I can think of where I'm trying to find small tweaks to avoid that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I just got a, a set of the tethered one sticks in the mail Saturday. And like for the whole evening, I was just sitting there with stealth stripping and I'm like, this is a contact point. This needs to go. This needs to go. This needs to go. That rope containment system that they have on it, it rattles, took it off. Like um, noise is it for me and packability is it for me. Like things are light enough as it is nowadays. Um, when you, when you're looking at a set of sticks or one stick that weighs two pounds versus stick that weighs one pound, um, things, things are light enough as it is. And I'm a saddle hunter as well. So I'm not carrying a tree stand. I have a two and a half pound platform. So, um, I would rather be the same way. I want functionality. I want packability and I want them to be quiet. Um, I guess, uh, so with that being said, we'll dive into, um, 
what I want to talk about a lot too is the time of year and we're gearing up for the rut. We're gearing up for all day sits. I know you're a big all day sit guy. It's mm-hmm. something that, that you look forward to every year. And um, with an all day sit becomes more gear and there's some added strategy there as well. So I want to talk about that. And I want yeah. to talk about um, traveling, staying organized, things like that, mm-hmm. because your season last year was one of like, I would have been an absolute mess the entire year because <laughs> organization is not, um, it's not a skill that I prioritize. So um, let's t- kind of tackle the the travel portion first. So sure. getting ready to travel, I'm in Iowa right now, just drove 10 and a half hours yesterday. What are some of the priorities that you make to stay organized when you're going on a hunt out of state? Well, I would say first and foremost, having, you know, just simply making the decision to have a plan is step one. Like it is a good one. Um, so like I know right now I'm kind of, it's kind of mid season and I haven't been on a trip in a few weeks, but I'm about to leave as well. I leave uh, this coming weekend for a big trip, like my almost two week trip. Um, so I know like I've got a day budgeted that I'm going to spend a good chunk, like maybe half of a day, just organizing everything, reorganizing, you know, moving everything from like my at home hunting setup to my traveling hunting setup. Cause like at home, I've got a barn where I have my gear kind of out there that I'm using daily and I'm coming in and out. I'm shooting every day. I'm tweaking gear. I'm hunting, doing all these different things. So stuff's a little bit less organized than it usually is right now, just because I'm in the midst of the chaos, but probably tomorrow I'm going to start building out my bags and my truck drawer system. So the way I do it when I travel with my truck is I have a, a, a built-in deck system in the bed of my truck. So there's two big long drawers and that's my main organizational uh, you know, kit. I think you could replicate this with like a tote system. A lot of people do totes. Um, I'm just using these drawers to do that. So I've got two drawers. One drawer is where I'm going to have my kind of camp set up. So I've got all my camping gear, my general like camping life, uh, cooking, like all that kind of stuff goes on that side. So sleeping bag, tent, cooking utensils, cooking materials, paper towel, uh, gallon Ziploc bags for meat, all that kind of stuff is going to go on one side. And then the left side drawer is where I'm going to have all of my hunting equipment. So I'm able to put a set of sticks, sometimes two sets of sticks in there. I can put, um, cause of those small timber ninjas, I can put my saddle platform. I can put my saddle. I can put my, um, knee pads, my bino pack, all of that is going to go into that left side. So that's everything I'm going to grab out and go with on, you know, that I might take on a trip. Um, and then I also have, uh, what I have is I have dividers in there. So there's one big divider. So that divides out my, what I just described, the climbing stuff. Then there's a little gearbox in the front where I'm going to have small accessories. So that might be where I'll have like gear hooks. Um, I might have gear ties. I'll have like uh, my thermocells in there. Um, my extra release will be in there. Uh, the small little things go in this, like, uh, maybe like 12 inch by 10 inch bucket that's in that front part of the drawer. So that is all of that stuff on that side. And then I'm going to have a bag that I keep all my clothing in all the entire hunting trip. And then I will have my backpack, which is my, what I'm using right now gear. So once the hunt starts, I build out that backpack and then I'll keep everything in that backpack day to day. And then the left side, the hunting drawer becomes all the extra stuff. Um, so the backpack organizational system is, is a pretty big deal too, because I want to, you know, have everything in the right place 
all the time for two reasons. Number one, I want stuff easy to get to at the right point during a hunt. And then number two, I want to make sure I don't forget something. And if I have a system in place that I know this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, then I can always, right before I leave, quickly check, all right, is my is my saw here where it needs to be? Yep. Is my puller up here where it needs to be? Yep. And I'm never like digging through the bag, like, where is this thing? Where is this thing? And I think that is particularly important on trips, especially like rut trips, because, you know, as we know, those rutcations are a mental grind and you are wore out and you're not always all there in your head on day five or six or seven shit, even day three sometimes, right? It, it can be exhausting. So anything you can do, whether it's with your hunting strategy or in this case with your gear, anything you can do to take out, you know, uh, to take out confusion, to take out extra um, thinking, to take out extra decisions. There's this, there's this thing called decision fatigue. The more tiny decisions you have to make throughout a day, the less your decision-making quality is, the lower quality your decision making becomes. And so as a deer hunter, you have to make a lot of decisions during a day about, you know, how to hunt them, all the different things you've got to do during a deer hunt. If I can eliminate questions and decisions around where my gear is or what gear to bring or where is this stuff, that's going to help me down the down the road in a particular day. So I've got, you know, for example, I don't, I don't think this is terribly unique. I think a lot of guys do stuff like this, uh, but you know, I'm choosing specific pockets on my backpack based on when I will need to access the stuff. So I get to the base of my tree. I know the first thing I'm going to need is my tow rope. So that's in a pocket I can just reach to while the backpack's still on me. I can pull that right off, tie my bow on, clip it onto my saddle. Now I can go up the tree if I want. When I get to the top of the tree, I know I'm going to need my strap that goes around the tree. I'm going to need my bow hanger. I'm going to need my Ozonic screw in. All that stuff's in the top lid pocket. So I don't even need to open up my backpack. I just have the backpack in front of me. First thing I get is the three things I need to put in the tree first thing. Same way as you go down the backpack. So then I open up the backpack. Now I've got, okay, what am I going to need next? Well, I need my Ozonics. That's at the very top. That goes in. What's next? Um, you know, there's probably at that point, that's going to be the main essentials. Next is going to be layers, I guess. So then I'll have my warm jacket or my vest or whatever. And then finally, the very bottom of that pack will be whatever food I need for the day. Cause that's just going to live in the backpack for the whole day. So, I mean, that's a simple a simple part of what I'm doing on these trips as I'm thinking about my backpack organization and then my truck organization. Um, I guess the only other thing worth noting with the travel side is, uh, you know, I, I use the back of my truck in that way I just described. I'm also bringing one big cooler, um, which I'll use to hopefully bring deer meat home. But I also, in some cases, if I'm camping or staying in a rental or something, I'll bring food with me. So for this trip I'm leaving on, I'm going to uh, pre-make like five to seven dinners and freeze them and take them out with me in the cooler. And uh, so I'm going to have that. I'm going to have a decoy that I'll have in the back of the truck with me. And then I use the back seat of my truck as then just where all of my, you know, in the house living stuff lives. So my work bag, my like uh, street clothes bag, uh, all that kind of stuff lives up there in the front while the back is, is nothing but like in the field stuff. So that, you know, if I have to, if it's raining and I'm not going to be able to put my wet gear right back in the bag, I can hang it up in the back of the truck and not worry about it, you know, being contaminated with a bunch of my street clothes smells or anything like that, which you know, I'm, I'm pretty serious about scent stuff. So I try to keep all that stuff in the back and separate it from house stuff. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah, that's um, the decision making thing is super sound advice. Uh, there's nothing worse than the anxiety of feeling like you forgot something. Um, like I'm always triple check because I'm so unorganized. I'm always triple checking. Like, do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this? Quick story. Um, so Chad and I are traveling to Oklahoma last or two years ago, two springs ago. We're traveling to Oklahoma to film a Whitetail Cribs episode. And I get all the camera gear organized and I set it out by the door of the office and I have the tripods there and everything's there. We get halfway to Oklahoma and the one thing that we need for (laughs) the Cribs episode is the camera gear. Like you could do without everything else, but you can't film something without a camera (laughs) left the camera equipment in the office. That is brutal. Yeah. So I always have like, uh, anxiety that I'm forgetting things. So super sound advice. And this year I've been doing the same type of thing. And the decked drawer system is something that I have, like, I've been dreaming of having in the back of my truck for a really long time, just for, yeah. I have a, um, it's called a Duha. It's under, under seat storage. It's kind of okay. similar, but it's not as big. You can't put as much stuff in it, but, um, being, working for a company that manufactures trail cameras. I have a lot of trail cameras. I have a lot of SD cards. I have a lot of batteries. My entire bottom seat is like 12 cameras, all the batteries, all the battery trays, the solar panels, the the straps, Mm -hmm. like that's all underneath my seat now to where before it was just rolling around the back of my truck and cameras were breaking, antennas were breaking. So yeah, like finding ways to organize your vehicle when on travel hunts is, is super key. Yeah, I think so. It just makes it for all those reasons. It, it it helps and it just keeps your mental state better. I think that's a big thing. Like at least for me, like if I open up the back of the truck or the cabin door or whatever, and it's just like crap everywhere and you can't find anything and you're wondering, is this here or that here? It just adds chaos to a situation that is all already chaotic. Like I think my entire, my entire philosophy to deer hunting is understanding what you can control and what you can't. And there's so much outside of our controls, deer hunters, right? We can't control the weather. We can't control other hunters. We can't control deer. We can't control the habitat in most cases. Um, So as a deer hunter, I want to look at what can I control? What variables do I have influence over? And then I want to do my very best to concretely make an influence on those few things I can. Put the few things I have in my hands in the right way, in the right place, because I know I'm going to be dealing with chaos out there. So when it comes to this, if I can have my life in order, if I can have my gear organized correctly, if I can have my truck organized quickly and correctly, that's one small thing that I now do not need to have in that chaos pile. And that is going to open up space in my mind, open up energy to deal with all those other pieces of adversity that I know are going to come down the line. And I think if you stack up a bunch of little things like that, if you stack up that little type, that little preparation you did to make sure your gear is quiet, if you stack up that little bit of time it took to organize your gear, if you stack up that little bit of time where you practice setting up your sticks quietly in the dark, whatever, all these little tiny things, you know, keeping your gear in the back of the truck instead of the front of the truck. So it's not quite as stinky. All these 1% positive influences add up. Till all of a sudden you're 10% better, you're 20% better, you're 30% better than you could have been. And that's when things really start making the difference in the woods. Very well said. Um, uh, speaking of that same scenario with traveling, you were talking about how you have an at-home system and you have a traveling system. Are there 
any is there anything in your home system that stays behind on a travel hunt? Um, let me think about that. I mean, I would say I'm I'm using different things. So like for example, I might keep my um clothing in a great big. So one thing I do, I've got a great big like ozone tote that stays in my barn and I use that in my barn, but I, I used to take that on my traveling hunts, but I don't now. Now I just put all my clothes in like a duffel bag when I travel on hunts because I start I've started flying more and I've started doing different things and the tote just wasn't um you know practical for those applications. So that's an example of something that stays at home. Um I don't know. I mean most of I mean there's there's lots of small specific things, right? There'll be certain types of gear that doesn't travel with me like you know, on certain hunts, public land hunts, stuff like I'm not taking a pole saw, but if I'm going on a private land hunt where I might be able to access, it might be able to do that. Maybe a pole saw does come. Um, but yeah, nothing's jumping out to me. That's, uh, you know, there's always the dozens of extra sticks, the extra platforms, the extra stands that I won't have. I just have to simply pick my best one or two of everything. And then that goes on these travel, these, tr these trips. Um, so I do have to make some choices. What's the most essential stuff? You know, am I going to bring a decoy or not? That's a big decision. Um, am I going to bring an extra bow or not? You know, I, I used to not take an extra bow. Then I started bringing an extra bow. Now I'm back to the point where I'm not taking an extra bow. That's a thing. I, I, that's a luxury to have two bows. I recognize. Um, but trips do require choices. You need to constantly be making this choice between do I bring a backup or do I be as minimalist as possible? Um, and of course that comes down to how much space you have in your vehicle. Are you traveling with extra people? So, you know, take for example, this trip I'm going on here in a few days, I can't bring an extra bow. I can't bring um, an extra much of anything because not only do I have everything I need for two weeks of hunting, but I'm bringing a cameraman who's going to bring God knows how much camera gear in these huge Pelican cases full of stuff. So we're going to be loaded for bear. Um, so on this particular trip, I know I've got to make tougher choices to allow that space. Um, so, you know, getting selective with what's, what kind of gear can I bring that maybe will serve multiple purposes? Uh, what's the, what's the type of gear that I know I can get away with. And in a worst case scenario, I'll still have access to a store where I could get a backup to that. If, if I really needed to, um, that all comes down to case by case decisions. Sure. Um, one thing that you mentioned was organizing your pack. What is the pack that you're choosing? Yes. Yeah, so I'm using the first light transfer pack now, um, which just came out this year, got to start testing it uh, last fall. Um, and then prior to that, for like the three or four years prior to that, I was using a mystery ranch treehouse. So I actually was a mystery ranch treehouse pack user um, from a recommend recommendation from you, from a podcast that you did, or just picking up that you were using it. It seems like the transfer pack is extremely similar. So like cubic inch wise, it's a larger pack. It's like the dump style pack where you can reach yep. in. Um, what are some of the things that you like about that pack? Yeah. So like you said, very similar. Um, it's that style of pack I really like. So I'm, I'm glad that this is similar to that organizational kind of system that the treehouse had. Um, what's different and something that I actually comes in pretty handy for me is that it is a little bit bigger, not a ton bigger, but, but noticeably enough bigger in that I can more easily stuff in that food, like for the all day rut set, right? That's the kind of day where you do need a lot of carrying capacity. So I've got food in the bottom. I'm going to have probably two, 
two extra layers. I'm going to have a Nozonix. I might have a GoPro or some extra camera gear. I like to carry a, a cell camera with me if I can. Have an extra trail camera now that I might be able to pop up. So that's going to go in there. All that has to fit on the inside. Then your regular hunt stuff has to be inside there, like your, you know, like I said, the straps, the gear ties, the um, uh, my release, my grunt tube, all that stuff has got to fit inside. And then the outside of the pack, then you're strapping on climbing sticks, saddle platform, um, anything like that. So I do like that slightly larger pack. There's some people that I think a treehouse or a transfer might be too big for them. They're just going to say, why do I need that much space? But for the kind of hunting I do, where I'm going to go in for an all day sit like that, I'm carrying in my, you know, saddle setup. Um, yeah, I, I want that. So, so I like that I have a little bit more space. The second thing that I like more about the transfer is it does have a more rigid, um, uh, back panel and hip straps. So it's got a little bit more structure and can carry weight a little bit better than the treehouse. So it's going to, you know, what I just described there, if you were to, I mean, even as it is, even being just a little saddle platform and carbon sticks, that's still like a decent bit of weight on your back. Um, this thing carries it like it's nothing, which is awesome. If I had this in like my old, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking here? Um, when you talk backpacks, it's not structure, it's a frame. That's a frame. So if it was a frameless pack with no internal frame at all, um, I think it'd be very uncomfortable to carry that much stuff for a mile into something. But this has a relatively sturdy frame on it. It's designed to also carry a tree stand. You know, it's, that's something I don't use. This has got one of those zip away panels where you can zip the main body of the pack away from the back of the frame. You can attach your tree stand close to your back. And the reason that's important is that when you're backpacking, for example, or when you're packing out an elk or something, the best way to carry a heavy weight on your back is to have it tight to your back. If you have the heaviest weight far out, so imagine, you know, if that heavy weight is strapped to the outside of your pack, that pulls away, pulls you back almost. And it's going to be much more uncomfortable, much harder to carry the heavy weight. If you put your heaviest thing close to your back, so in this case, you can actually remove the bag, put your heavy weight tight to your back on that frame and then put your bag on top of it, it's going to carry it much, much more easily. So it's nice from that perspective. Like I said, I don't do that. I don't put my trees down there because I don't use a tree stand. Um, but if you did, it's nice. What I have thought is that if I find myself in the scenario where I need to pack a deer out, which there's some spots where I definitely think that's a possibility, you have to quarter it out and pack it out. It would work just like a meat shelf. I could pop that out. There's straps and I could strap a quarter in and then attach my back, my bag on top of that and easily be able to pack a deer out with this pack. So that's something I haven't done yet, but um, I see that as a definite positive um, that I'll probably be, hopefully be using someday. Yeah, I think that's a, a really nice feature. That pack is uh, super well thought out. I had Josh, uh, Josh Hilliard on the podcast last week mm -hmm. and we talked a lot about that pack and it's, it's really well thought out. Yeah, what's cool, selfishly, I'm biased here, um, but I've one of my favorite things about my job is is getting to be very like very involved with First Light's design process, because um, because as you know, First Light's part of Meat Eater, and so like when this pack first came out, or when we first were working on it, our whitetail product designer Greg. sent me like the first prototype. So Greg sent me and a couple other guys, the first prototype and we tore it apart. We said, no, this isn't going to work. No, I don't want that. This is horrible. This isn't going to work. And they said, okay, I'll fix it. And then like a month later, I got another pack and I got to look at it and say, no, that's not how I want my pack to be. Or no, that's not how I'd use it. Or Andy's like, no, I would never do this kind of thing. And then a month or two later, we got another one. So I actually got to 
basically make this to be my dream pack as, as close as I could get it to be, to be everything I want to have. Um, and that's, you know, a very, uh, a very cool thing as a diehard deer hunter to be able to have that level of influence and get a product that, that comes really close to meeting, you know, the needs that I have and the needs that I think a lot of other deer hunters have. Um, so, so I guess I like this pack a lot because it's kind of what I was asking for in these meetings. And, um, and that's been a lot of fun, both on like the backpack side, but then especially with like our outerwear, these, these new whitetail systems that are coming out have, uh, you know, got to be in a lot a lot of meetings throughout the years talking through these ideas and and now seeing them come to life and come out into the public um it's pretty wild yeah that's really awesome um so let's let's kind of talk a little bit about um some of the more first light stuff that you're using so i want to talk about an all-day sit in november crisp cool morning and it's not going to get above 32 degrees the entire day how are you staying warm in a tree stand you're stationary all day and you see the Facebook forums pop up every time around these years. And the, everyone's like, I, I couldn't get my bow back because I was cold or I had to get down because I was cold. So what are some, some of the things that you're doing to stay warm in a saddle hunting perspective uh, specifically, because that's a, a little bit of a different added challenge um, for those all day sets. So do you want to know the specific clothing items I'm wearing or just like the philosophies or tools I'm using or, or ideas I'm using to try to stay warm? I would say both. I would say, what are the philosophies and then what are, what is the specific gear that you're using to pull that off? Okay. So there's, there's two things going on here from like a higher level perspective. Um, one, I think that there are certain choices you make with the clothing you bring and when you use the clothing that will help you more, be more comfortable. And then there are also different actions I'm taking throughout the day that actually help me stay warm and focused and active. So when it comes to the clothing choices and the clothes and clothing use, um, you know, then again, none of this is rocket science. This has been talked about before, but number one, I'm going in light. So when I head in in the morning for that all day sit, I am wearing as little clothing as I possibly can, because I do not want to get all sweated up. I want to stay as cool as possible for that hike in. And I'm usually hiking in a long ways. And like I said, I usually have a decent amount of weight on my back. Um, and then when I get to a tree, I'm usually setting up my sticks, my saddle, that whole thing in the dark. So it's a pretty involved process in the morning on one of these rut hunts. If you go wearing in your full, you know, 25 degree temperature setup, you're going to be miserable. So I will, um, I will oftentimes, I will often sometimes wear my bibs on the hike in, but I haven't fully vented. So I wear bibs from first light, the solitude that fully zip up so I can have, like most of my leg open, unzipped. I can have my hips unzipped. I do not wear anything on top other than like my lightest base layer. Um, so I'm usually freezing when I get out of the truck and I'm not very happy for those first couple minutes until you, until you start walking. But most of my body heat is upper body heat. Like I don't sweat a lot down low, but I'll get it going on my back, armpits, of course. So I want that, you know, super ventilated for the hike in. Um, I usually won't wear my uh, bino harness and stuff. Oftentimes I will put that in my backpack for the hike in. Cause again, like I'm not probably using that in the middle of the dark. Right. Um, but it is a contact point that could get me sweatier if I were wearing it in for that hike or for that setup. Also, it's a thing that can kind of be in your way when you're trying to set up your climbing sticks and climb up into a tree. So that's something that more often than not, I'll still in my backpack until I get into the tree and set it up. Um, I'm wearing base layers, of course, that are moisture wicking. So that's something that for us primarily is a merino wool base layer. So from first light, I'm wearing our wick 
um, long sleeve shirt and bottoms um, typically is that first closest to skin layer. And like I mentioned on top, that's maybe all I'm going to wear for the hike in. Maybe I'll put on a, a, an origin hoodie or like a furnace, which is a one layer heavier wool piece. Um, but still, that's pretty lightweight when that's all you're wearing and you're hiking in 25 degrees or 30 degrees. So that's basically what I will wear into the to the tree. Um, when I get up into the tree, I'm going to, you know, as I described, have other layers packed in my backpack that I will then get on in the tree. I'm not going to put on anything though until I'm actually all set up. So like I'm not putting stuff on at the bottom of the tree. I'm knowing that I still have to put sticks up or even if I already have sticks up or steps up or something, just even climbing up into a tree and getting getting settled in, that'll switch you up if you're fully clothed. So again, I'm staying in that very light set of layers until I'm all the way up in the tree. I've got my backpack, I've got my bow up, I've got everything up in the tree. And I will usually wait, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I, I don't put on the warm layers until like I'm completely dried out. I don't like to put on anything unless like I am dry and cold again. Once you start feeling cold again, then yet your body saying, all right, you know, we're 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 regulating now. Hopefully that moisture is transferred off my back or off my arms. Now it's into that merino wool. It's getting farther and farther away from the body. Now I can add these next set of layers. So on these colder weather days, let's say, like you said, like under 32 degrees, um, what I'm probably wearing on that hunt, as I mentioned, would be the wick um, bottoms or the furnace bottoms. Um, so the furnace would be like just one notch higher in uh, uh heaviness thickness warmth um and I, you know what i probably would be if it's third if it's like 25 to 30 somewhere in that and probably would be choosing the furnace so let's let's say not the wick we'll do the furnace for the bottoms i do always wear the wick as my first top layer though then i'm going to once i start warming up hopefully it's like maybe a half hour before daylight now i like to be in there very early um maybe it's about half hour 20 minutes before daylight now i'm going to throw on my origin hoodie which is like a midweight fleece um hoodie style uh piece uh throw that on and then i will if it is let me think this through if it's like in that 32 or below i really do like this new source jacket we have so the source jacket is a piece that i this is an example of like getting to see my dreams come to life the first meeting i ever had with first light their head designer greg came to my family deer camp this would have been 2018 greg and ford another guy from first like came to my family deer camp in northern michigan hunted with me for a couple days up there and just asked me about what 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 are your problems what are the things you wish your gear could do that that doesn't what's a piece that you would love to have that you can't find anywhere else and right out the gate i said i want a super packable super quiet little puffy jacket for whitetail hunting i've got one like this for my camping life like i have a patagonia nano puff that i take with me on every backpacking trip every camping trip every fishing trip it's super small and packable i never have to worry about it i just always have it because it's so small and convenient to carry with you but if i take that on a whitetail hunt it's super loud uh, i don't want that as a whitetail layer so make me something like that for deer hunting and i would like love you forever and so we've we've slowly been working on it and finally the source jacket um you know it's 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 awesome it's not quite as small as a nano puff but it's way 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 quieter super super nice for that easy warmth that's very thin still and it just feels like a dream to wear. It's not puffy at all. So I didn't want to be like in a big puffy marshmallow type jacket. I want something that is almost like 
you don't even realize you're adding insulation because it's so thin and so quiet. So the source jacket does that. Um, you can even wear that as an outer layer. It's so quiet and tough enough that you don't need to have anything over top of it to keep it quiet. So I've got that wick. I put on that hoodie. And now if I'm in those 20s and I want a little boost of my warmth, I'm going to throw that source jacket on over top. And then finally, I put on my solitude jacket. And you do that and you've got a system like you could wear that down into the teens um, and be super comfortable. Um, you could wear you could take that same thing I just described, but instead of the source jacket, you just get rid of the source jacket and then just use a solitude. And that'll be comfortable through most of the 30s, 40s. Um, you'll be great, too. I should point out I run cold, so I easily chill. So I always this is a gear decision in general. Um, I've oftentimes found myself sitting there at the truck or the barn or the cabin or wherever I am. And I'm debating, do I bring this extra layer or not? I don't, I hate having more stuff in my backpack, but I also, I've come to live by the mantra of I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it when it comes to clothing. So I always, I try to now always remember, like if I'm on the fence about adding another layer or wearing the heavier layer, I now will err towards getting the thing that will keep me warmer. Cause I've had too many days where I skimped and I chose not to bring the warm jacket or chose not to bring the extra vest or whatever it is. And then found myself out there the last half hour of daylight. And if you're so cold that you're shaken and miserable during prime time, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure when that buck does show up. So you're already shaking cause you're cold and now you got to deal with buck fever or whatever. Um, I don't want to be in that position. So I'm always going to err towards being slightly warmer uh, because of that. Yeah. So, I think that goes to the decision-making thing too. If you're focused on why you're cold or you're focused on being cold, your decision-making um, yes. will, will lack. Yeah. So true. So, so sorry, I'm kind of long winded on this whole discussion here, I guess, but, uh, but yeah, I think that basically covers my main system for those cold weather days. The only other thing I would add is uh, I like to wear lightweight gloves, even on cold days, I wear super lightweight gloves. Um, so that's the first like fingerless talus gloves that I'm mostly wearing. Um, we've got, well, yeah, I won't mention any other ones coming down the line, but we've got fingerless talus gloves that I'm primarily wearing. And then, um, I like to keep them in a hand warmer pocket to keep me warm when I'm not actually using them. So there's two options to do that. You can use first light stuff for the gear I wear has got a kit link system where you can just unzip your outer jacket and slip your hands into a hand warmer inside of your bibs. Um, you do that sometimes, but I actually really like using the hand muff that they have as well. They have like a, you know, like a fanny pack style front of you hand muff that just places it a little bit easier for me. So I prefer to use that. Um, and that's where I keep two hand warmers in there and then my hands when I'm just sitting around and then I can easily pop out my hands and have full functional, full functional hands without needing to pull off some big bulky glove when I need to shoot. Um, and I guess that covers it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, one thing though, which is probably people's biggest struggle would be the toes, the feet. If your feet get cold, you're done. Uh, what, what's, yeah. what, what's look, what are some tips that you have there for your feet? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I like to wear a rubber boot for my whitetail hunts. Um, I usually am using the lacrosse arrowhead sport, which is a, um, which is a, does not use thinsulate, but it uses a neoprene and rubber construction that equates to something like about 800 to a thousand grams of thinsulate, I think is what I've heard. Um, so that's what I'm usually running all the way through the coldest parts of the year. Um, 
what I'll do as those temperatures get super low is, you know, I'll just kind of bulk up the weight of my wool sock. So I don't, I usually don't like to wear multiple socks because I think a key thing to have in your boots to stay warm is room. Like you want room in your boot to move your toes around, to have that warm air kind of pocketed in there. If your toe is too tight in your boot and you can't move it around, if there's no space to wiggle your toes, your boot's too tight and you're going to be very uncomfortable and cold. So I think your fit is really important. Find a boot that fits well and gives you enough space in there. Um, It gives you space to bulk up your wool sock. So I like a wool sock. I like to adjust the weight of that sock as it gets colder. Um, In the coldest of days, so for example, last year, I was hunting in Wisconsin in January with negative like 25 degrees. And on that day, I did wear two pairs of socks and I used a little toe warmer. But I have a boot with a big enough toe. Um, I don't know what you call that area for the toe. toe but I was box. able to wear toe box. Thank you. So I was able to wear a lightweight wool sock, a heavy wool sock, and then I put one toe warmer on top of my toe. And I still had space to still wiggle in there. And that worked for me. Um, so that's what I do for feet. Um, nothing too fancy, nothing revolutionary there, but uh, but it, it works. Sure. Um, now there's one other thing. Maybe you want to stop me because I'm doing that thing that podcast guests sometimes do where they just talk and talk and talk. Um, but there are a couple things I do as far as like actions in the tree that help sure. me stay warm. Do you want me yeah. to still cover that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the biggest thing I think that happens on an all day sit when it's cold out is the more bored you get, the colder you get. So like if you've had a long day, if you've been sitting there for four or five hours and there's not a lot of deer activity, that's when you really start getting cold. It might be freezing cold, but if you're in deer action the whole time, if you're mentally, you know, captivated, you're going to, you're not going to think about how cold you are. So part of what I do in an all day sit is try to find ways to try to stay engaged, to keep my mind off of the temperature that can help you get through a long day. So one simple thing I do that helps a ton is this kind of does double duty is I have a schedule for snacks. So giving yourself a little snack obviously gives you more calories. That's going to fuel your body to stay warmer, but then also just knowing that's coming up and that that is scattered throughout the day gives you a little thing to look forward to. It gives you that little boost of excitement and it keeps you kind of a little bit more mentally in it because you know, well, 20 minutes from now I get that Snickers or all right, five more minutes and I get that apple or whatever it is. And then every hour. So what I try to do is on the hour, I get a snack break. So nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I'm going to get that little break. And that's going to get me eating something. Gives me this little tiny boost of, of happiness, that little caloric bump. Um, and I think rather than eating all your food in one big lunch or whatever, I, I do think like spreading it out there just makes the day a little bit more fun. It makes the day just a little bit more doable because every hour you've got this little reward. So man, Mark, if you can tough it out for one more hour, if you can stay quiet and stay focused for one more hour, you get the Oreos and that might be just enough to get me through. Um, so I'm doing that. And, and believe it or not, I think that helps a ton. Um, trying to find different ways to stay engaged throughout the day. Otherwise, you know, for example, just constantly glassing, constantly searching, like just stay, find something. I was on a hunt the other day and I was there like way earlier than I needed to be. And my phone was almost dead. So I wasn't going to use my phone at all. So I, 
I wanted to try staying gay. So I said, okay, you know what? Let's see how many rubs you can find with your binoculars from this tree. So let's scour every direction, like fine tune comb the woods and try to see if you can spot a rub in this little corner. Can you spot a rub there? Can you spot a rub there? So of course I'm doing the general deer glassing, but then I'm also like just fine tune searching. Like, can I find any little shred of orange off this tree trunk? What about a little something there? And just little like mental tasks and games like that throughout a long day helps keep you on it. I think that is a lot better than just mindlessly staring around and then falling asleep or daydreaming or just sitting there thinking about how cold you are, how miserable you are, how cold you are. I wish I could go back and have a hot lunch or whatever. Um, give yourself these little tasks, these little um, distractions of sorts that are positive distractions. Um, and then, you know, with the phone, that, of course, can help you stay occupied. You just got to be careful with it. You know, I I try not to spend too much time on my phone. Not saying I never do it. Um, I try to be very careful about if I am using it to make sure like it's it's I've learned this the hard way. I had a shooter buck I was after for years and years pop up 20 yards behind me while I was reading a book on my phone and I couldn't get a shot of him. So I've learned this the hard way. Um, but I try to if I am using my phone to, uh, you know, look down. Don't spend more than just a couple seconds looking at your phone. Then look back up, scan, scan, scan. Okay, look back at my phone to read for a couple seconds, scan, scan, scan. Um, and all those things do, you know, again, the whole point of me bringing this up is like, I think these mental engagements help keep you more comfortable and warm in the stand because your warmth is a, a product of your brain telling you something. And if you keep your brain focused on other things, it doesn't have the capacity to worry about how cold you are most of the time because it's engaged with these other things. I think that's really sound advice. And that's something that I'm going to, um, I'm going to start implementing a little bit more because I'll, I will find myself just like wandering and thinking like, man, it's getting cold. And like, that's what I'm thinking about. And then I stop thinking about like, Oh, maybe I saw a tail flicker over there. Maybe there's a tine that shines over there. So I, I, and I always glass is like a huge thing. And I, I find myself not using it enough when I'm in the tree on my access when I'm accessing in the afternoon, I'm always like glassing and I'm, I'm very diligent with it. Scouting, I'm very dil diligent with glass. But when I get in the tree, it, I kind of forget about it until I see something. So um, that'll help keep focused. Um, definitely want to make two comments on the um, clothing, the hand muff. I, that is one piece of gear that I, no matter what time of year, whether it's 80 degrees or 10 degrees, it is something I always take with me, no matter what. Um, it's a comfort thing, saddle hunting. It's a really good place to put your hands. It's comfortable yeah. and it, it can carry things. It's one of those dual um, access things. Like yep. I keep, I keep my release in that zipper pouch. I keep my phone in that zipper pouch and I keep my yep. grunt, grunt call in the, the pouch. So um, that is one thing and two, dude, the source jacket, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's sweet. That is something that I hunted the other day with a wick long sleeve, the furnace Henley, the sawtooth, no, 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 the source jacket and the sawtooth vest. And it was like 41 degrees and I was toasty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, like that setup you just described is so bulk free. Mm -hmm. Like there's no bulk. Like I, I hate, I hated growing up wearing the stuff that you just felt like you were all puffed up. And like what you just described, you're like, you're hunting in pajamas. It almost will feel like, like you're so svelte. You're so like, it fits so nice. You're so quiet. Like there's nothing bulky. There's nothing loud. There's nothing uh, like it's, 
there's no hard shell. It's just like you're out there like a ninja, man. I mean, that's a nice setup. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm, I mean, the first light stuff, the introduction to the Marina wool is where I started. And then the all the outer layers that they're introducing, it's just top notch. I love it. Um, the source jacket, I don't even know if I can say this, but this is something that I want to see in a vest. Can we expect it? I, I don't know if I can say it either, but, um, but you know, uh, pictures can say a thousand words cam so if you can see my smile you might be able to make some assumptions <laughs> <laughs> perfect that's something that that's that's definitely a must okay so i uh, have a, a few kind of i'm gonna i'm gonna steal right from you mark so we're gonna do a couple rapid fire <laughs> okay. rapid fire type situations um but before i do that are you super are you a superstitious fella hmm i would say i'm not overly superstitious no i'm not saying there aren't a few things but no, I, I couldn't tell you right now. There's like a big thing that I'm really, really uh, superstitious about. I have always um, fall under like there's one superstition that I'll like always follow. And um, that's if you take your knife to the woods, you're not going to be successful. So mm. I, al I always leave my knife behind. Where do you, you fall? I want to um, what knife do you use? I mean, the last year you had 10 tags in your pocket, probably <laughs> planning on killing a lot of deer. Yeah. So um, this is a I apparently carried my knife too much. <laughs> hey, that's, that's what I'm saying. But um, that's, this is another topic that it's been popular in Facebook forums is talking about knives. People are pissed off that their knives are dulling. What knife do you use? All right. Uh, I'm going to have to make sure I get the name right on this because um, I'm pretty sure it's the Benchmade Hidden Canyon. But I want to I want to make sure I'm right about this um, because we at meat eater are for yes i'm right it's the hidden canyon so this is a full tang so that means like a full metal piece from top to bottom it's not a fold out it's a full piece um what it's not the right word i'm looking for it's a uh a fixed blade fixed blade knife is what i'm looking for here so it's a fixed blade drop point knife uh not super big it's short which i really like i don't need a huge Bowie knife, right, to go on a deer hunt. But I want something that is going to be sturdy enough that I can pop out a, you know, hip joint, or I can cut through whatever if I need to. If I if I use it for a non-deer gutting scenario or bone out scenario, maybe I need to, I don't know, cut something, cut a big piece of wood. I don't know, but a heavy duty if knife that would be multi-purpose is what I'm looking for. And so the Hidden Canyon does that. And of course, like everybody knows, a Benchmade knife is a very, very high quality blade. It's going to stay sharp for a very long time. Uh, so all those stuff, all those things are kind of go out saying. But I just like this style. It's super small and compact, but heavy duty. Um, and I've gotten, I'm lucky, I've gotten to test a bunch of their knives. And that's my favorite of all of theirs. And so I usually have that if I'm traveling, if I'm on a traveling hunt, I will have that and a gutting saw with me um, at all times. When I'm at home hunting, I often will keep that in the truck or in the barn or something like that. And then because if I ever hunting locally, I always go back home in between, you know, shooting a deer and recovering it. So I leave that at home. But uh, but yeah, maybe it's bad luck that I'm carrying it on those traveling hunts. I don't know. But it's super small and lightweight. I mean, it doesn't take up much space. And then I like those gutting saws. Um, I've used a couple of different brands. They have like the uh, the blunted end. So it's short. There's the blunted end. And I use that just to cut up the um, uh, sternum and then to cut the uh, the pelvic bone. 
Sure. And so I like to fully open it. unless it's a deer I'm shoulder mounting. Of course, I'm not going to cut the top there, but, um, but I like to fully open up the cavity and uh, have easy access to everything to pull it right out. Well, maybe that is why you had that opening day success. The knife wasn't with you. Could be. That's true. That's uh, true. Is it home? Good point. That's the exact knife that, um, the hidden canyons, the exact knife that stays in my truck. Super. It's really nice. Isn't it? Yeah. Really great knife. Um, Rapid fire questions, okay? Grunt call yeah. or rattling antlers? Grunt tube. Which grunt tube? So I just this year have got to switch to a new one because Phelps Game Calls, which is our game call company that's part of Mediator, they just launched a, a deer call line. So this is another one that I actually got to have like really close um, influence of it. So we got like the first set of prototypes. So even before prototypes were made, uh, our our lead designer Jason Phelps like, reached out to me and a handful of other guys that are on this like whitetail team for First Light and Mediator and said, "Hey, what do you want in a grunt tube? What what matters? What doesn't matter? What problems have you had?" So we got to deliver like basically here's our our shopping list. This is what we need. Then he came back with a prototype and sent it to us, and we tried it out. Like, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. This is good. This isn't quite good. And we went through several iterations of that with a big group of us all providing feedback. So what came out of the oven at the end is uh, the Beta Pro Grunt Tube. So it's the Phelps Beta Pro. Um, and yeah, I'm a big fan of it. It gives you the super, I like it, a deep kind of smooth tone. It's not like, a, I don't know how to describe it, but it just doesn't sound plasticky. And, you know, most grunt tubes are plastic. This is an acrylic body with a rubberized bellow tube. And it just has a different, the smoothed out sound because of that, I think. Um, so that's what I use. And um, definitely, definitely, definitely prefer a grunt tube over anything. That's like the one thing I will not leave the house with any time of year. Um, I don't care what brand grunt tube you use, what model grunt tube you use, have a grunt tube. All right. Uh, one thing you mentioned was you take into consideration the noise and the lightweight, even when you talk about your optics choice. So what are your optics choice? Yeah, so I use the Vortex Viper HD binoculars, 10 by 42. And they're, I could have their top end Razor HD binos. I could have like one of their bigger binos. Um, and they're great, don't get me wrong. But I really like the, the body and the form of the Viper HD. Like the glass is plenty good enough for my whitetail applications. It's not as good as the Razors. I, I understand that, but it's just as good enough for me but it's a smaller body. Like it just feels like a more compact, tight body. And I don't like a big binocular on my chest when I'm white tail hunting. Um, I like to keep that as small as possible. So I've even considered going smaller. Um, I haven't done that yet, but the Vipers for me have hit that sweet spot. Oh, they give me, you know, the 10 by 42 gives me enough power. It gives me enough low light visibility, all those things, but it's small enough that it's, it's never in my way. I never have to think about it, um, which I think is important. Uh, for for whitetail application with a bino, I want something that's always there. I always, always, always have my binoculars. I'm always using them. I'd never take off my harness, so I want it to be, you know, I want it to be the right size and weight so that it doesn't become a hindrance having it on me at all times. Did you ever find like in Nebraska or in the open country settings that they weren't enough? That the ten power wasn't enough? So in like those 
long distance glassing situations, I will bring in another piece because yes, they wouldn't be they're enough to spot something. But then, you know, when there's something out there 800 yards or half a mile or whatever, and I want to like really get a good look at it. That's when I have one of two options. So I do have a spotting scope that I bring on those hunts. So if I'm doing like a spot and stalk kind of thing like that Nebraska hunt you mentioned where we were sitting on a hill glassing an area. And then if I saw something I wanted to pursue, then I would leave some stuff at that glassing point and then I'd run down on that bottom. So in that scenario, I had a spotting scope and tripod that I had up there with me and I would leave it there when I was going to make a stalk. Um, I also have a pair of the like 15 by 56 or something like that, like, like the big, uh, big binos. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but those are awesome for like that super long distance glassing thing. Or I went on a coos deer hunt, you know, like five, six years ago, they were great for that. Um, but you know, for most whitetail hunts, you're not going to need that with you, you know, in the field, it's more so like in a scouting application. Sure. So you talked about, um, trusted gear. So fixed blade or mechanical broadheads? Mechanical. Um, I know that's controversial. Sometimes folks like to uh, debate uh, broadheads a ton. And this is actually one where I don't, this is one that I do not have that trusted one. I've Ooh. actually jumped around on broadheads and, and it's partly because I'm not, I, I'm not so fine tuned. Like I'm not the guy who, does like the the crazy testing with broadheads and all that kind of stuff. So I've I've jumped from a couple different basically the same principle style kind of broadhead. So I use like a two-blade rage. Then for a couple of years I used um I think it's called sick broadheads. And honestly I use those because I got a bunch of them for free. And I was like oh, I'll just try them. And I know the, the I shot them they shot great. I was like this will work fine and I have them. Um, and then the last few years I've been using the G five mega meats from a recommendation from a friend. And I got some of those and they've been, they've been working great. Um, but I'll be honest, that is not my most thought thought through decision on that. I don't have this amazing reason why I use them. I had them and they work. Sure. That's good enough. Um, so you recently just made a spreadsheet um, documenting all like weather decisions and stuff to go in to kill a buck. What is the weather app of choice that you're using to go back and look at all that historical data? Yeah, so I use a bunch of different weather apps, but the one that I use to get the historical data, and it's really the only place I've found this well, is Wonderground. So, and I can't even find an app that shows this well. I have to use like like the browser to get to it. So the best way to find it is just Google Wonderground historical weather. And then that will take you to this. It's it's not great, but there's just no other terrific option that I found yet. But you can go in there and then you can choose the date range you want to look at. You can either look at a specific day or a a, a window of dates. And then it shows you, you know, everything you could want to know. It'll show you the barometric pressure as it changes. It will show you the temperature change. It will show you the wind direction hour by hour. And I really want to see all that kind of stuff when I'm trying to pin down, you know, why did this deer do this? So as you mentioned, I, I've been keeping spreadsheets of like every daylight photo or observation of some of these target bucks. And so I, I record all that stuff and then I will go. And then when I have time, I'll go and look at what the weather conditions were on that day. So I want to see what was the temperature. I want to see what was the temperature the few days before that, because was this 55 degree day actually a 20 degree cooler temperature than it was yesterday? 
because that would tell me why he was moving. Maybe I want to know what the wind speed is. I want to know what the wind direction is. I want to see all that kind of stuff. So Wonderground gets me the historical data. And then like real-time data, I look at um, the weather apps, the standard weather app. I do like the DeerCast app. They've got they've got a really nice um, interface where I can see how the barometric pressure is trending, how the wind speeds changing, how the wind direction is changing, precip cloud cover. It's one of the best kind of app that shows me the things I want to see from a weather perspective. So I use the weather app. I use the DeerCast app. Um, what's another one I'm looking at? Um, AccuWeather sometimes. I just I think it's more of like a OCD, like I'm a crazy person. I, I want to see something, another source just that'll maybe tell me something a little bit different. Or maybe this one will tell me a cold front's coming through and the other ones don't. And I want to like have this wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I bounce around from app to app. But you know, right now I'm using those two the most um of everything else. And then the Wonderground stuff. Sure. Um, and then the scouting app of choice. Onyx for sure. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, let me, let me, sorry. I'll give you a little bit more thought on that because Onyx is the tool I use the very most for hunting. Like when I'm in the field, I've got Onyx up, uh, but I will bounce around to different apps just because every app has a slightly different uh, map, like the aerial view. Oftentimes they're pulling from different providers. So like the view I can get from Onyx might be a little different than the view I might be able to get from Google Maps, which might be a little bit different from like the standard base map that DeerCast has. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I love Onyx. We work with them. They're amazing. But I think it's fair to say that I'm going to look at everything to see if there's a slightly different picture that maybe gives me a clue. And I had a great example of this. I, I picked up a new piece of property in Ohio. Never hunted it before, never stepped foot on it before, and it's in season when I picked it up. So I'm trying to learn everything I can before I ever step foot on it to, to go and set up cameras and scout for the first time. And so leading up to that, I looked on every single one of the different map apps out there. I mean, everyone. And I looked at the aerial maps they have. I looked at the terrain layers they have. I looked at the topographic uh, layers that they had. And, you know, I looked at Onyx's 3D um, app that I had or layer that I had. And they're all kind of showing me, for example, on one of these properties, there's a chunk of timber. It's like 15 acres of timber. And it looks like pretty much the same. It looks like just a big chunk of mature timber on everything. Except when I went to the 3D layer for Onyx, I went to the 3D layer and you wouldn't think that a 3D layer would show you something different in cover type. But for whatever reason, when I went to that layer, it all of a sudden showed me that there's like a five acre corner in the back corner of this property that looked totally different than everything else. Like the cover type, the leaf, the leaf cover or something looked different there. And all of a sudden, like it, it shined out like a gleaming star. Like, Hey, look at this. This is a very different zone over here. No other aerial photography showed me that. So I don't know if it was just the time of year that that piece was used, that picture was taken or something different. That showed me this new spot. So when I went to do my one day of scouting, I had one day to go do a speed scout of this whole area. I knew, okay, I need to focus on that zone because there's something going on over there. And of everything I scouted, I scouted these two, I've got two chunks. I scouted as much of it as I could. The one place that ended up being like loaded with deer sign in like a screaming hot honey hole was this like four or five acre little patch that ended up being cedars and a cut and like just nasty stuff and like the bedding area uh, from your dreams. 
and I it was invisible on everything else. Wow. So I bring all that up to say that, um, you know, find a scouting tool that you know and trust. For me, that's Onyx, but you don't need to be married to them. You can check everything else. And in this case, it ended up being a different Onyx layer that was the thing that I, you know, got me the clue I needed. But I always check Google. I always check, you know, Apple Maps. I check them all because you just don't know. Sure. Yeah, that, that's really great advice. And that one piece of diversity is all, all it takes um, yep. in a scenario like that. So um, last two questions here. What is one piece of gear that you bought or you used and you used to think like, man, this product right here is going to change the game. And then now you look at it and you're like, that's really not all it was cracked up to be. I'll give you an, mm. exa- an example, maybe to ease your mind here. For this, for me, it's it was like deer urine or sense. I thought like, I was going to take this deer urine, I'm going to do a drag and a buck is going to put his nose on that and fall it right to my tree stand. And I have learned for my hunting, the way I hunt, it just, it just doesn't work. It's just not something that I was like, this doesn't help at all. And I waste my money on it. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I definitely did the same thing with like the scents like that as well. I had that happen. Um, I, you know, like scent spray, mm-hmm. like scent eliminating spray is one of those things that forever, for a long time, I thought like you had to have it like that would make all the difference. And that I've gotten increasingly skeptical of it to the point where now I almost don't use it. Sometimes I use it just out of habit or like, ah, you know, it probably doesn't do anything, but I guess maybe that might be a superstitious thing. I will sometimes go through those things that I'll be like spraying that sand spray on. I'll be like, man, this probably doesn't do a damn thing, <laughs> but at least I'm like dotting my eyes and crossing my T's and and maybe it gives me that tiny, tiny little bit, but that's one of those things I used to be like uh, an evangelist for. And I've got increasingly less uh, confident in that to the point that I, I don't really think about it too often. Sometimes I use it. Sometimes I don't. There are other parts of my scent control regimen that I do still believe in, but I'd say that's one. Um, that I'm not too terribly concerned about. That's something that I have eliminated too, and not to be too long winded on this, but that's something that I kind of learned that um, number one, I didn't think it made any difference, but um, in a positive way. And secondly, I learned through like um, dog tracking and doing some more research on like moisture and what that does to scent and spraying a liquid onto your pack or onto yourself or where you have scent molecules, moisture enhances scent. So if you don't let that moisture dry, if you don't let it right. dry before you go into the stand or you're sitting in the tree stand spraying yourself down, you're just enhancing yeah. your scent molecules. And you're like, well, look at me, I'm in a shower. You can like get in a shower, put soap on. And how strong does that smell in there? You get out of it, you can't yeah. smell it. So it's yeah, that's uh, a great point. Yeah. Something, um, that I always was like, Oh, I got to put this spray on myself and drench myself. So I don't stink. And I just made myself stink yeah. worse. Um, yeah, that's funny. So last question here. Um, I think you kind of already answered it, but we'll see, um, if I'm speculating correctly for those all day sits, would you rather forget your phone or forget your food? Mm. Wow. Ah, that is a doozy because either one of those would really suck. Um, so I would say it'd be better to forget your phone. That's what I thought you'd be better to forget your phone. 
Yeah. Um, it'd be, I mean, that would be rough to have none of that, but I, but I think it would be a situation where I'd be like really pissed at the beginning of the hunt. And then I would come to terms with it and I'd say, you know what, this is actually the best thing that ever happened to you because I've every once in a while, I will purposefully leave my phone at home or I will turn it off completely and put it at the bottom of my pack and force myself not to use my phone throughout the hunt. And I'm always glad when I do that, I always have a hunt that you, you just, your eyes get open to things that they aren't, that they wouldn't be open to if you have your phone. That phone becomes such an impulse grab every time things slow down, every time there's nothing going on. By impulse, you're checking something. And it's really hard to break that habit. So putting it away or putting it on airplane mode or forgetting it entirely, it's always been a good thing. I think you get back to what you know, you're know you supposed to be doing out there when you're hunting, which of course, being engaged and searching and glassing all those things is important, but then also just noticing what's the sun doing? What are the clouds doing? What are the squirrels doing? Uh, appreciating all of those things, keeping that distraction of the phone away helps all of that. So yeah, I'll forget the phone. I'll still have my food to stay warm and excited about us throughout the day. I won't be able to figure out hour by hour um, unless I wear a watch that day. But uh, yeah, I think leave the phone at home, enjoy your snack still and enjoy the beauty around you. Well said. So Mark, if you, is there anything else you want to lead off here? Any uh, space facts from Tony Peterson you want to get anyone or uh, anything, <laughs> any closing remarks here? I'll, I'll leave the space facts to Tony. One of these days he'll have to uh, come out of the closet on that and tell folks about his uh, inner nerd. But, uh, but no, you know, I guess I would just, if people want more, Hey, I would just say that you guys are really doing a good job at Exodus. Like I told Jake this the other day, I really think you guys are doing a slam dunk job with your content. Of course, your product's great. And then I think the fact that you're, you know, not only developing a, a really quality product, but you're also developing content around it for your community. I've just been from afar impressed with what you guys are doing. And uh, of every trial camera company out there, I don't think there's any group of people that work for a company making cameras that care as much about the thing as you guys do. I mean, you guys are, you guys are in the community that you are building a product for. I think some of those companies out there are building cameras and the people building the cameras are just some Yahoo overseas or some, you know, guy trying to make a bunch of money. You guys are trying to build the thing that you really need and you're in it and you're obsessed just like we are. Uh, so that's just a long way to way of saying, keep up the good work. Um, and Keep on doing a good job with the podcast and all the stuff you're doing on YouTube. Uh, I bring that up because I was going to say, if you have already listened to and watched all the Exodus stuff, of course, we put out a lot of content over at Wired Hunt too. So, you know, I, I would plug our podcast, the Wired Hunt podcast. My new show, Deer Country, was on the Meet Eater YouTube channel that just finished up a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you can follow along with my own personal story and stuff throughout the year on Instagram as well, at Wired Hunt. So that that's that's my little plug. Well, thank you, Mark. I uh, certainly appreciate it. Kind words um, means a lot coming from Mr. Whitetail. So uh, I, I wish you the best of luck throughout the rest of the season. I look forward to following along. I'm really interested to see uh, what you end up doing with that decoy. And uh, so good luck to you. Thanks for taking some time on your October 24th morning. And uh, we'll talk to you yeah, soon. Thank you. Sounds good. Go kill that Iowa slammer, all right? <laughs>